Please listen carefully. Hey folks, today on the podcast, I have Pat Barber, who is a CrossFit OG. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, uh, he was around for the beginnings of CrossFit. And for anyone that started CrossFit back in the day before uh, Reebok got involved, you will recognize his name. Uh, he is on the cover of the uh, first CrossFit documentary, Every Second Counts. So if you look up Every Second Counts, it's the uh, documentary following athletes from the 2008 CrossFit Games. And uh, this is back when the CrossFit Games were literally just in the backyard of uh, Dave Castro's ranch out in Aromas, California. And uh, he's on the cover of it. He's doing a, a pull-up or a toes-to-bar of some sort and doesn't have a shirt on. Uh, it, like His 12-pack is showing. And um, you know his nickname back then was The Manimal. Not The Animal, The Manimal. So um, it was super cool to talk with him. Um, nowadays, his life uh, looks quite different. So uh, he's married. He's got two kids. He's got one on the way. Throughout the podcast, we start off actually talking about him going through this nutrition challenge, uh, which is um, coincidental because we are also doing our own nutrition challenge here at Kana. Uh, we talk about his love for uh, surfing and how he's getting his workouts in. Uh, we talk about his CrossFit history, so how he got involved with CrossFit and how he evolved to uh, eventually be the, one of the headquarter trainers for HQ, uh, traveling around the world and training trainers. Uh, we talk about Taz, his wife, and the kids. Uh, we do a lot of talk about family life and, and dad life because one of his missions is to create better dads around the world. We talk about his five-month uh, trip around the world with his family. They took five months and traveled around the world recently, so we talk all about a ridiculous story from there uh, and and the different stories from his trip. Um, we talk about religion. We talk about uh, apologizing to kids. We talk about him uh, giving his kids knives and, and what that is all about. And we talk about his business now with that he runs with his wife, Taz, Warm Up and Workout, uh, which is programming for CrossFit Boxes. So we cover a lot. It's a longer episode, but um, I think you'll enjoy it. We uh, do kind of roll right into the interview. Uh, so we basically get on the phone and uh, do a sound check, but that actually is the start of the interview. So uh, don't be surprised if there's no sort of uh, introduction when I get on the uh, on the phone with him. Can you? Just, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast this morning? Yeah. Uh, I actually started a challenge in these last uh, couple days. Uh, some of my friends who used to work at NorCal with me, they did like a six-week real food challenge where they, they you kind of like give them your body comp and you give them your goals and you give them all this stuff and they write you a little personalized nutrition plan and then there's like coaching along the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked if I would be willing to promote it and they're two amazing people. So I was like, heck yes, I would. Oh, cool. Um, but in promoting it, they're like, yeah, well, you can, you can do it if you want. And I was like, Ah, why not? I always I need a I need a reason to do things often, and so eating things for uh, eating healthy for the sake of it has always been hard for me. I always find reasons to you know grab a grab a donut here or there. Um, so when I when I saw the challenge, I decided to do it, and so this morning I had this like I had a couple eggs. Usually I'd have bacon, but for some reason on this challenge they wanted me to do no bacon. I don't, mm. I'm not quite sure why, but hey, you know what? I'm willing to give it a shot for six weeks. Yeah. Um, and then I had a shake that I made out of spinach, a banana, a half cup of milk, uh, turmeric, and what else was in there? And some blueberries. And do you have a specific goal? But that was my breakfast. Do you have a specific goal with specific the nutrition goal? challenge? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I kind of want to just feel healthier. Uh, I've been feeling pretty inflamed at, uh, just internally, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's a lot due to what I'm eating at the moment. Uh, I did a year with no sugar, and that, that year ended in September, so I went back at sugar with a bit of a gusto. Mm -hmm. 
And so I've been feeling a bit swollen. Um, and I, I've got this like foot injury that's just, you know, it's been two months and it hasn't healed. Uh, I actually just went and got an x-ray on it. And uh, I've got this weird thing where like when I jump into cold water at the moment, my hands and feet get tingly. Mm. And right now, and, and when the first time it happened, they actually swelled up like little sausages. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking it's due to a high amount of internal inflammation. So little things that normally wouldn't bother me are hitting me harder. So I'm, my goal is to just be a bit healthier for a solid six weeks and, uh, see if I can get some of that to go away. Do you, with the cold water, are you doing that, um, because you're surfing a lot or are you actually going in for like ice baths and specifically for, you know, more of a, um, you know, with an intent of being in cold water? No, no, no. I, I just for surfing and playing with my boys. Like we, you know, we live in Santa Cruz and although Santa Cruz is California, the ocean never gets above, like never gets above 59 degrees. It's mm, pretty darn right. cold. Mm -hmm. Um, and now we're heading into winter, so it's even colder, but, uh, we, uh, when I take my boys out, like we hadn't been in the ocean for a little bit just because we've been in New Zealand, we've been traveling, we've been doing all this stuff. And I took them out for a random day and we went in the water and stuff just got different than normal. All of a sudden my feet and hands were itchy and they swelled up. So oh, man. that was super weird for me. Uh, I usually have never had any injuries or never, I just, I think I'm getting old, I'm getting <laughs> old and, and things are popping up that normally wouldn't. So is what it is, but at the same time, I'm, I'm looking to see if maybe some poor dietary choices have led me down a path of inflammation yeah. that I, I can then reverse through better dietary choices. <laughs> Hilarious. So, because you love surfing. Um, I do. What are you doing other workouts, um, or, or what does your training look like, I guess, in terms of um, workouts or not workouts? Right now, it's relatively minimal, especially because of my foot. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, I spent a ton of years in a competitive environment, as you know, doing CrossFit on like a a level that is, uh, I would say, I would say in a long term view, unhealthy uh, when you're doing it to compete versus when you're doing it as like a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and so. I always had a reason to train, was training for like a bigger event and would, you know, put my body through the ringer. Uh, I was relatively young, so I could hold it, uh, uh, so I could, you know, recover from it relatively quickly. But uh, for the last couple years, since I haven't needed to compete and I retired from competing, it's been a lot more like lifestyle-based training, like, you know, three, four days a week. Um, and in the last, I'd say, two months, because of my ankle, it's been even less. Just I've, I've found reasons to not train. So I would say my, my last couple months has been, you know, probably maybe once or twice a week structured training. And then the rest of the week, I'll either be playing in the ocean and uh, or I will go build something. Like I've been really into building for some reason, so high levels mm -hmm. of moving big boards around and construction, that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say for this last little bit, it's been mainly that kind of stuff versus structured training. But when I do do structured training, I, I do, uh, the sessions for more of a workout. Cool. Um, yeah. are, you, are you doing the, are you doing that workout at home or are you going to a box for that? I would far prefer to do it at a box, but currently the box that we go to is, is, uh, it's, oh, the reverse of traffic. Um, <laughs> Got it. So, so if I were to go at the, the time that I'm going to go is right. is going to be uh, a time that I would be heading back against traffic. So I tend to do them in my garage. Got it. Um, we have a pretty sweet garage gym set up that that I I will hit up. Right, right, and that's where you do your videos for warm up and workout. Correct. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know you. So I, I started across it in 2008. I found I heard about it in 2007, um, and then stalked main site for a month before actually trying a workout. Um, and you were all over the the media at the time. So there was no such thing as social media back then, but there were the videos on main site that they basically filmed you and and some others working out. And that was how I learned how to do these movements, right? 
Um, right. And so there's a lot of old school folks who, who could say the same. Um, right. So how, how did you, f- like real quick, like how did you find CrossFit? How did you get into it for those folks uh, who didn't know? And, and talk a little bit about like your rise up through competing and, and that kind of thing so to give people an idea of, of where you're coming from. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I started CrossFit back in 2004. Uh, it was brought to my high school by Tony Budding and Nicole Carroll. Uh, Nicole is now the director of training of all of CrossFit, and Tony was the head of media for a long time, but quit the company a couple years ago. Um, he actually now runs the Drone Racing League. Have you ever seen the yeah. on ESPN? Mm-hmm. So he's he's like the head guy of that. Oh, all right. Um, but he, those two were my old high school teachers, and they brought CrossFit up to our community um, that we were at the little private school that I was at. And so I started doing it then when I was like 18. Uh, and then when I graduated high school and went down to college, I would do CrossFit in the, for, for training just from .com, CrossFit.com. I would do it at the local, like, uh, I would do it at my college gym. Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny. People would always come by and be like, Hey, you're going to hurt yourself doing handstand pushups and right. doing ring work is ring works really dangerous. Stay away from it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you can thank you strength and conditioning coach of 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 yesteryear right um so so then from there i actually only stayed down in south uh in college for one year then moved back to santa cruz and when i moved back to santa cruz i just started going back to the original crossfit gym so crossfit santa cruz which was the the first of its kind um where greg glassman the creative crossfit trained mm-hmm. or and tony was there and nicole was there and all the originals were there and uh, eventually I was around so often that Tony asked me if I wanted to, you know, start working for the company and filming videos. And I said, sure. So I, I, you know, I ended up in the videos cause I was the only guy around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up filming a lot of the videos and then that put me as more, op- I would more often be around when videos were being filmed and they needed like a monkey to do stuff. So I would go in there and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there I, uh, kind of started working for the company more full time in 2007 um, and then started traveling around the country, filming all the level ones, eventually moved into coaching and coaching level ones, uh, as well as coaching at the local CrossFit gym in Santa Cruz. Um, and then in 2008, uh, the CrossFit games, the second year of the CrossFit games happened, uh, first year I kind of missed out on cause I was doing something that weekend, but the second year, 2008, uh, I competed, uh, just for fun, ended up quali- uh, getting fourth that year. And then... 2009, got a free bid in that because I qualified the year before, uh, competed in 2009, and competed in 2010 on a team for CrossFit New Zealand, and then, because I met my wife in 2009, uh, so she she was, she was qualified out of the Australia-New Zealand uh, region, she won that and came in to compete in 2009 in Aromas, and she needed a place to train, so she and I met, I she trained at my gym, and then from there, we fell in love and have kids now and all that fun stuff. But uh, so competed in 2009, moved to New Zealand, competed in 2010 for CrossFit New Zealand on a team. Uh, then went individual in 2011, uh, went to the games. So I won the Australia region, then went to the games and got uh, eighth, I believe, at the games. And then that was at the Home Depot Stub Hub Center. Um, and then from there, in 2012, my appendix burst four days before regionals. Um, and then 2013, I missed qualifying by one clean 2014. I went team 2015. I went team and then 2016, 17, uh, and now 18 I've taken off. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my history through all of that. Um, in 2012, we moved back to Northern California from New Zealand and ran NorCal CrossFit and built that into the empire that it was, and then left that a couple years ago, just uh, from, and we had different belief structures that were not working hand in hand, uh, and now run warm up workout full time. And, you know, had, had our kids in 2012, our first one, in 2012, our second one was born in 2015, I want to say. And then we have a third one on the way in November. And now my time is split between, uh, running warm up workout, raising the kids and yeah, just trying to be a good dad. Love it. Um, let's back it up to Taz. You met sure. you met Taz at a at regionals, right? Uh, I met Taz at at the games actually. Well, oh, the games. Okay. before the games. So she won the New Zealand Australia regional. 
Uh, so she was the top female qualifier there, which gave her the bid into the 2009 games. Right. But she came, the games that year were in Aromas, which is about, right. I'd say, a 20-minute drive from Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to come get acclimated to California and the time frame and the weather and all that stuff. So she came out a couple weeks before the games, and she needed a place to train in Santa Cruz. So she reached out to me, and we chatted, and she we trained together leading up to the games, and um, that was pretty friggin' awesome. She she's a I don't I mean you I don't think you've met her, but she's a a very unique individual in terms of her uh, the way she deals with the world uh, and how she thinks and how confident she is both you know emotionally psychologically and physically and so it was it was a very different experience for me than other other people i'd been in relationships with and so we ended up falling in love and yeah yeah and that's that right and on your you have your own podcast with taz called tribe life um yep. and so you you do talk about that and it seemed like you guys were hanging out simply because she needed someone to to drive her around, right? You you were not Pretty like much. romantically uh, involved at this point because no, you were just basically her chauffeur, right? Pretty much. And I was in a relationship, so I had like I had been in like a three and a half year relationship, and I was currently in one. And so any sort of romantic desire was completely off the table. There's right. no like when I first met her, it was just like oh, she's another you know competent, smart, you know beautiful CrossFit strong crosser girl right um which it, the crossfit community has not not to brag but it has a bunch of those you know it's right. got a bunch of very physically and emotionally and and you know capable women mm-hmm. um and so initially it was just like oh here's this other cool girl but then because there were the romantic side of our relationship was completely off the table uh it just allowed me to like build a friendship with her in a way that i had never I'd never really had before with other girls and I, I got to understand what a relationship could be like minus the, the, the sexuality and the romantic side of a relationship. And, uh, that really opened my eyes. So when she went back home to New Zealand, I ended up breaking things off with the girl I was with at the time. And, and, uh, then she came back and I was more than her chauffeur. <laughs> And you ended up moving over there for a little while. Right? I did. I did. Yeah. So she came back to, to California just to hang out. And she's like, I'm coming back. I want to visit you. And I was like, great. And then, uh, and then I ended up quitting my job working HQ full time because uh, I was filming videos for them. And I was, I was kind of done with that. But I had just got a job working for Again Faster, uh, a, a, an equipment company at the time. Yeah. And it was remote. It was They, they were in uh, – New York and I was in Santa Cruz. So I was working remotely for them anyway. Mm. So I was like, would it be cool if I moved to New Zealand? And they're like, sure. So like it just happened perfectly to where I, I worked remotely. I moved to New Zealand. I worked remotely for them in New Zealand and just, you know, it was great. It was a fantastic, fantastic setup for me and things worked out well. So she eventually moves over here. You guys have two kids now. You have one on the way. It's Oaks is the older one, right? And Arrow yep. is the younger one. Yep, Oaks um, is the older one. Arrow is the younger one. Um, and then, yeah, we started up that podcast, the the Tribe Life stuff. And I think that was more like out of a selfish desire to figure out what other parents were doing. Mm-hmm. I think we had kids and we realized that nobody really knows what they're doing when it comes to kids. Like people can pretend to know what they're doing, but in all honesty, every kid is so different and you, you go into it thinking one thing and it's totally different in a number of ways. Um, so we wanted to interview other parents to see what they were doing, see what they were doing and what, what things were working, what things they were struggling with. And, and that's kind of the premise of the podcast is like, what are people doing? (laughs) Cause I sure would love to learn from you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you asked this question on your podcast to other parents, so and, and I, you may have answered it uh, yourself, but what would you tell yourself prior to having kids? Yeah. Or, or, right, or right, you know, what would you tell yourself, uh, yourself, you know, pre-kids? Uh, yeah. To give yourself a heads up about anything? Yeah, I mean... I did answer that on a podcast. I can't actually remember what I said. Well, I'm not, not going to verify it, but yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's so much you could tell yourself. I, I, I would just say, like, be as helpful to the mom as you possibly can for the first, you know, six months to a year. Like, I think what I said in the other podcast, which is the same thing, is it's not about you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the first couple months of us having the kid, like there was an immediate paradigm shift. Kid comes out, my brain goes, okay, this is what life's about. I need to be here for this kid. But there was still old, old traits that I had of like complete selfishness where, you know, I would think things needed to be a certain way. And if they didn't pan out that way, it just wasn't fair. And I think in reality, it's not fair. And that's the point of it. It's, It's no longer fair in the sense that things are being done you know, equally on both sides and, and you know, the, the, right. you get what you need and you get your time and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it, it's just not the case. Um, so I think I would have told myself beforehand to like, to come to terms with that quicker. Be like, hey, it's not fair, but mm-hmm. be there for the mom sooner and understand that it's not about you anymore. And I would l- hope that mental shift could happen b- earlier on than it did than when I had my... Uh, first kid now i'm much more come to terms with it but uh i wish i, w- I would have happened a little sooner because you could have i could have been more helpful to my wife in those first couple months by the first child was having what was the addition of a second like compared to having the first uh it's really 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 difficult i mean anyone who's done it can tell you it's like you're looking you're looking at like the way I always describe it is when you have your first kid, it's complete life change. Like you're going from zero to one. Mm -hmm. So like you have no idea what you're in for. And then you have this thing and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is way harder than I ever expected. (laughs) So there's this massive life shift. Um, but it's kind of to be expected. Mm -hmm. Now when you go to have your second, you're like, okay, well I kind of know what I'm doing. I've had one. So what's it going to be like double the work. And then you have the second and it is way more than double the work. It's like, it's to the 10th power or whatever it is. It's so, it's so exhausting to an extreme degree. And, and it is so hard, but, but it's very short. Like the, the hard time is like a year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that first year is really, really difficult. You don't sleep, you don't know all this stuff, but the, the sooner you accept that, the, the, the sooner you can start to enjoy the things that you get from that, which is these relationships with these little kids and the, the experience of raising like this blank slate for the most part. Um, so, so the, the transfer from one to two, uh, is, is extreme. It's like, it's not, it's not doubling your workload. It's, it's quadrupling your workload. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, and Oaks is six. Oaks is six, yep. And Arrows Oaks is two? Uh, yeah, he'll be three in January. He'll be three in January, okay. So that's uh, so that's about a, a three, three, year. three and a half a year. Three year gap. gap. Got yeah. And you have a third on the way. We have a third on the way, so about another three-year gap. Right. Um, what? So what do you think you'll be telling yourself, right? So if we were you know, to fast forward five years from now and ask you the question of, you know, what would you tell yourself before the yeah. third came? You know, what what do you think that's going to be? Or what are you preparing yeah. for? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, your your expectations are so different going into the third because cause right now I'm thinking, like, I have no idea what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. like, I'm almost, we're almost more relaxed because we're really accepting of, like, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have no idea what we're doing. And, and this is going to be totally different than the other two. Right. Um, so I think maybe five years from now I'll be like, Oh no, it was actually very similar to having a second. Who knows? Uh But, but what happened, you know, from the first to the second is when, when we, with the first, we know we don't know what we're doing. So we go into it and we're like, okay, I think I can do it. But you accept the fact that you don't know what you're doing because it's your first with the second, you kind of think like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing. I kind of know what to expect, so I'm going to try these things out, and we're going to see if it works. But then all of a sudden, the second's so different than the first that you're like, oh my god, I, I'm completely lost, and I have no idea what's going on, and it's it's just this this crazy adventure. But now, since we know that's the case, and each kid is totally different, 
we're going into third really relaxed because we're like, we have no idea. Right. You know, we have no idea what he's going to look like, how he's going to act, like what he's going to do, like what his sleep's going to be like. So we're going into it like just ready to be there and just be present with this completely unknown ball of mush. So that's how we're going in. Who knows? Maybe five years from now, we're going to go. It was very similar to having two or it mm-hmm. was, you know, we could have gone in with a little bit more of a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? I, I actually <laughs> have no idea what we're going to be saying five years <laughs> from now. <laughs> well, and I also I also get the get the sense that uh, Taz is more of the planner. Uh, anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you get that sense. You you get. I mean, you you're very right with that one. Yeah, that that's that's the way it is with my wife and, and me as well. So, um, yeah. I think I think you and I have the sim- similar um, personality traits with our significant others. Um, con- right. Contrasting. So. Um, Which is good. Yeah. You got you to have the people who represent the different sides. For sure. Um, so you uh, just, well, kind of just got done with traveling around the world for five months. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just retell that story of like the first day of travel because it is priceless? Oh, yeah. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And, um, I, and we can, I can, you know, direct, I can link to your podcast so people can hear the original version, but I was <laughs> sure. cracking up and had to replay that part Um for my wife because we, we like traveling. We haven't as much the last three years between having a kid and then opening a cross box. But, um, yep. that, that's just an epic travel story. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, like it was so ridiculous that it became hilarious. You know, right. it was so terrible right. that, that you could only laugh, you know, if it would have been slightly less terrible, mm-hmm. I'd probably be in misery, but it was so over the top that I, right. I, we, I ended up just cracking up. So, we end up, uh, our, our trip was, we go mm, um, here, it was East Coast to West Coast, and then West, sorry, West Coast to East Coast. So we went to the, uh, the East Coast first to visit with a few of my, uh, my, a bit of my family. Mm-hmm. And then we went there to Ireland and Ireland to Scotland to, and then we drove around all there and did like Wales and uh, England and all that stuff. And then we went there to Dubai, Dubai to South Africa, South Africa to Bali, Bali to Australia, and then home. So that was the full trip. But the very first leg of the trip, literally from the West Coast to the East Coast, like we're all packed up, we're ready to go, we toss everything in the car, we get to the airport. Um, and we get on the plane and I had just bought in the airport, I bought noise canceling headphones I, because Taz's Christmas gift to me was going to be these really nice noise canceling headphones that I wanted for a while. Hmm. Um, but I bought these nice noise canceling headphones and, and these days noise canceling headphones do a really good job of, uh, blocking out extra sound. And so we got the kids on the plane and it was an evening flight. So it was a bit of a red eye. So we we're going to fly overnight. And so they're kind of trying to watch some TV. So my oldest one's trying to watch a TV. My youngest one is he's kind of fussy, and we don't really know what's going on. And we later found out he was getting sick, uh, just kind of had some earache stuff going on. My older one's doing fine. And he mentions while we're in, like, the waiting lounge that, that his stomach doesn't feel too great. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, but maybe he just ate something funny. And so – the way we had it set up is we've got the three seats uh, and then we've got a, an aisle seat on the other side. And I sat in the aisle seat because Taz usually sits with the boys and I always offer, but she always says, no, I got it. Um, so I'm not leaving her hanging dry. Mm-hmm. just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> but so I put my noise canceling headphones on and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to watch my, my movie and we haven't even taken off yet. The kids are watching a little bit of TV and I'm watching a front end of a movie. And all of a sudden, like this hand flashes in my view and I like turn to look over and Taz is holding her hands out covered in vomit. And I was like, what? And I like pull my headphones off and my littlest son is crying. And my older son's watching TV, and as I look at him, he he throws up another giant load of puke all over the back of the seat. And I was like, oh, my God. And we're, like, taxiing on the runway. So the thing's, like, starting to go um, where they're like, hey, don't stand up, do all that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is the very beginning of the first flight. And I I 
you know, jump up, I run over, I grab him, pick him up, uh, carry him down to the back, ask him to grab a towel. They go over and they help clean up the, the seat that he just threw up in. Um, and I, he throws up more in the bathroom, get him cleaned up, completely change all his clothes because they're covered in vomit. We're like taxiing on the runway. We come back to the seat and then put him in a seat. And he actually wasn't too distressed. He was just vomiting, uh, which was pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Um, he just really wanted to watch TV. And uh, so we start the flight off with them just vomiting and it being terrible. Um, then we have to keep monitoring throughout the entire flight. Uh, Taz ends up, the, the our littlest one, who usually just goes out and sleeps all night, gets an earache and ends up not sleeping the entire time. So he's up and about waking up and doing all this crazy stuff throughout the entire time. He's screaming, even though he's been on tons of flights. Uh, doesn't want to watch TV. Doesn't want to do anything like that. It was horrible. So that was our first flight. So then we land, and we're all just, like, gassed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Taz is super beat and tired. We barely got any sleep. I got more than Taz did because I was on this separate seat. We're already, like, like, plenty of sets of clothes deep. Um, And so we're we're sitting there trying to figure out uh, how to go get all our luggage. We've got five months' worth of luggage. I've got, like, uh, giant bags and all this other stuff. And when we rented our car at the airport, we we thought we'd just like walk to the Hertz station, and uh, because you know we're like, do we need to? Sorry, we didn't think that. We got down, we picked up all our bags, and we saw the signs like Hertz this direction, and uh, we've got all our bags, on, and we're like, should we buy a cart? Because those little carts in every other country they're free, but in the U.S. for some reason they cost like five bucks. Right. And so I, I was like, I'm not wasting five bucks on a cart. We'll just carry our stuff there. I'm strong. Da 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 da. Um, we still have two sick kids, um, <laughs> a bunch of you know poop and vomit covered clothes. It was fantastic. But we're like, we'll just carry our, our bags there. And we'll jump in our car. And so then we we start to carry our bags, um, and we we start heading down this hallway. We get on a, a, a moving, you know, pathway, and then we start walking, and we're like twenty minutes into walking, and we're just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, I, what, what airport is this? This is a uh, John. I think JFK? it's the John F. Kennedy Airport. Yeah, JFK. And it's like Hertz is is miles away. <laughs> you have to take you have to take a subway at the very end of the stuff. You have to do, and, and we had no idea. We thought it was like right around the corner, like you know, a normal airport. Right. But no. It's miles away. So we're like walking down all these hallways, carrying the kids. The kids can't pull anything, so we're carrying two kids that are sick, all our bags. And then all of a sudden, my my, my oldest son, who is sick, he's like, I think I just pooped my pants. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, I tried, to, I tried to fart, and I think I pooped my pants. And sure enough, like, he's like totally sick. Like, so he's got this really sick stomach. And he has – it wasn't a huge poop, but it was the smelliest, grossest, sickest poop ever. And so I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going to carry you. I'm like, I, I'm like, Taz, you stay here with the bags. Give me the stuff. I'm going to run him down to a bathroom so he can finish this off. So I pick him up, and he's got, like, poop coming down his pant leg. And I'm just running through these this area hoping to find a bathroom because it's like we're in the middle of nowhere in these big, long passageways trying to get to the, the Hertz rental car. Turns out there's no bathrooms along the way. I run for like 10 minutes with him just in my arms, covered in poop. And we get to the end, and it's a subway station that we need to get on a subway car and take us to the Hertz station. And all our baggage is back to the other place, and there's no bathrooms. So we end up having to take him downstairs into like a secluded little area. And uh, I thought no one was going to come out. It's like 5 a.m. We're all just beat. And uh, I take his pants off. He's like, I don't want to take my pants off. People are going to see me. I was like, no one's going to see you, man. Uh, and so I pull his pants down. And as I pull his pants down, this this elevator comes up and opens up. And this, like, whole Indian family comes out. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with this, like, naked, poop-covered five-year-old, uh, like, in, in the subway station. Like, just totally inappropriate place. Anyway, I clean him off. Uh, he's embarrassed. I put his pants back on, new pants. He still kind of smelled like poop because you can't do so. You can only do so much with wet wipes. Right. Uh, I throw his. I throw those clothes in the trash there. Run back to get Taz with carrying him. Carry all the the stuff back. Go to the uh, rental car agency, and I'm like, 
cool, we can just get in our car. And there's nobody there. I mean, there's there's two two employees there, but there's no other people. And the two employees just take their sweet ass time. I, I they must have waited probably 35 minutes to even look at us or say hi or anything like that. And then finally they acknowledge us. They go to give us our car and they're like, okay, it's going to be $300 for the car seats. And I was like, no, I booked online. I clicked car seat. It charged me the price. They're like, no, no, no. You just selected the car seat. You didn't pay for the car seat. (laughs) And so now we've got this like extra charge. And I'm like, look, you don't know what we've been through up to this point in time, but they, they didn't budge on it. And you know, it was brutal. So we ended up having to force over more money. We deal with these horrible people. Then, then we get all, all our car seats loaded up, put all the stuff in the car, like we're ready to go. I put the key in the engine, turn it, and the car doesn't start. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And we have someone come out. They press the button. They turn the car. It's, it's saying it's the wrong key fob for the car. And I'm like, holy crap. So we take all the stuff out of the car, undo the two car seats, put them in the other car, and we're so tired. And then this other guy comes by with the same key fob, opens up, and turns on the car we just had. (laughs) And he's like, well, you can transfer back if you want. I'm like, no, we're taking this car. We're going to head out of here. And so we end up hopping in the car and driving driving to like some random area in Queens – and and that area in Queens, we just like pull over on the side of the road in some random neighborhood with the car running because it's freezing cold and just sleep. <laughs> and we just <laughs> we just sat there, in the car running, two boys in the car, and slept for like an hour because we were so tired. And we're like, okay, the worst of it's over. We go get some food, and all of a sudden, Taz starts not feeling good. Oh my god. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me now. Uh, Taz isn't feeling good. The kids are starting to feel a little better. So we drive to Coney Island, and uh, there's no one there because it's super early. And we pull over, and we just look at, we're just looking at Coney Island, and Taz gets out of the car and just starts vomiting <laughs> everywhere, all over the side of the, the, the car and all over the side of the, the, the pavement there. So this was like to top off everything. So I got out of the car, turned back took a selfie of me with Taz in the background vomiting <laughs> and like that was the first day of our five month trip. It was a horrendous experience, but it was so over the top that I couldn't help but laugh. You know, like that's so bad that, a, that it's good. So bad that it's good. Exactly. Oh man. Um, and, and you ended up visiting uh, a combo of like friends, family, and then uh, doing your own traveling. Um, if you had to pick one of those places to tell everyone else to go to, where would you tell them to go to? South Africa, hands down. South Africa, hands down, is probably one of the best places I've ever been. The political turmoil is is intense and right. very real. Right. But the, the the natural beauty, the 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 length that the dollar goes, like when you go there and you're buying food and you're buying adventures and stuff like that, yeah, is insane. Like. And the, the, the quality of food and the quality of like places that you can stay for the price that you're paying and like everything that you're able to do, they're, you know, they're not a litigious culture. So, you know, there's a lot of – we took our two-year-old on a three-and-a-half-hour canyon zipline tour. You know, the, mm-hmm. like what you can do there is unbelievable. And uh, we never felt – scared really the entire time we were there granted we were staying in nicer areas and uh and but but there is a very real there's a very real racial divide and there's a very real uh amount of political turmoil like Mm -hmm. what's going on with their government and their people is is intense um but i everybody needs to go there and visit it is so amazing and the beauty of it and the animals and the food and the cost is just unbelievable. Yeah. I was there in Cape town in 2006, I want to say yep. for a service trip. Um, yeah. but, and it was, so we spent a little time in Joburg, um, but then did Cape town, um, for the majority of the two weeks, um, uh-huh. where you, you were in Cape town. We were all, we were all, all over. Place? So we, yeah. we started in Cape town, but then we went all up the Western Cape. 
Um, and then we went uh, up the west side of the Western Cape, and then we went down through the middle of the Western Cape and yeah, through the country cool. and all the wine farms. Then we hit the coast on the kind of south east side right. and then drove back to Cape Town, then flew to Joburg and then went in like Durban and all those areas too. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, this is kind of switching directions, but um, are you sure. religi- are you religious? I'm not. And how, is Taz and how or will you um, ad- address religion with your kids? Yeah. So Taz is not either. Um, I would say I'm closer to being religious than she is. I, I just have uh, a belief that there is something bigger than humanity mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, what we can see and feel. I don't quite know what that is, and I'm open to different things, but um, the idea of organized religion and the ones that I've seen and been uh, researched and known people who are part of, there's very little room for interpretation, and it seems to be very strict in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, the way that I currently am is, is, is I would consider myself spiritual with the belief in something bigger. Yeah. Um, did you grow up religious? I didn't. I grew up. Okay. My mom. My mom has been a Catholic my whole life, uh, okay. and she when when we left the house, she refocused her attention into Catholicism. So we weren't re- raised mm, with like okay. this is what you need to believe. We were raised with uh, just kind of spirituality. Right. I, I would say my parents were more hippies than anything else. But we were exposed to a lot of different things, a lot of different Hindu beliefs, a lot of Buddhist beliefs, um, a lot of Christian beliefs. But it was all like exposed in different ways at different times, and we were never told we had to do anything. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, we've been to church many times, but it was never, it was never, it was never. This is how it is. It was mm-hmm. like check mm-hmm. this out, you know. Got it. Um, and I, I, I think I really thank my parents for that. If I, I uh, for my kids, I, I want a very similar thing, and and what we're gonna do is we're just gonna expose them to as many things as we can, as mm-hmm. many different beliefs as we can, and try to put it into context as much as possible. Right. Um, just because I think that if they somehow are going through life and they feel like a deep connection to God or Jesus or you know Buddha or whatever it is, and they want they like they have some experience that leads them to believe that that's the nature that they should—that's that's what they should pursue and go. I'm like, I'm going to be 100% supportive of it. Right. Um, and uh, what I what I won't do is I won't tell them like this is what you need to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will also build context around you know my mom who's Catholic who who has figurines of the Mother Mary all over her house and like she's got shrines and all kinds of stuff. And when mm-hmm. when uh, when the kids go over and they're like, why does Nana love Jesus so much? I'm going to give her, them my interpretation of why she loves Jesus so much. Got it. Yeah, well, it seems like a big, uh, I know like, the word gets thrown around a lot, but you are very uh, authentic in the sense that you you do things that you believe in. And, and if it doesn't make sense, then why would you ever do that, right? So, right. Um, and it seems like you're instilling that in your kids too, which is cool. Um, Thanks. You just had an Instagram post about apologizing to your kids. Um, can you yeah. talk about that, like, and and uh, why you made that post, and and what you know? That's a message you've said before. It's not the first post that you've done about that, um, because I I think it's something that not a lot of parents do. Um, so yeah, I guess just talk about apologizing to your kids. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the post was basically just saying like we as adults are trying to figure stuff out. Um, and I think as a kid, you look at adults and you're like, they've got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also think that a lot of older generations, they try to put on this face of like, I'm always right. I'm the adult. It doesn't really matter versus having like a, a more open line of communication with the kid of like, Hey, I freaking screw up sometimes. And, uh, inevitably with your children, like emotions take control in times where logic should be a little bit more forefront. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that that oftentimes as parents and adults, we 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 make mistakes. Like we do things that we regret, whether it be the way we treat our kids or how we talk to our kids or what we do. 
And uh, I think a lot of people don't have the strength in their own character to apologize to a child uh, because they're, it's your child. They should just do what you have to say. And if you make that mistake, like apologizing to your kid means confronting yourself and how uh, having a level of humility that I don't know if many people have. Um, and I've just seen that the negative impact of that is, you know, I talk to my friends about how their parents treated them and things that they've said to their parents or things that their parents have said to them but then ne never come around and been like, hey, remember when I did that? I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, and it's only like you know, 30 years down the line that any sort of big emotional breakthroughs happen with a lot of these kids who have these, these parts of trauma in their life. And I think you know, even remembering back in my own childhood, the things that you remember the most are the traumatic experiences. Very rarely do you remember the the I mean, you remember the really good stuff, but you mm -hmm. don't remember the like the mundane. You yeah. don't remember the the just day to day activities mm -hmm. as often. Um, and I think a lot of people hold on to trauma for a long period of time. But I think that if you, as an adult, have one of those times where you do something really kind of shitty and you don't resolve it, then the kid either hangs on to that mm -hmm. or thinks that that's what is the correct thing to do. Right. So like, they think that in that situation, this is how you should respond, right. even if it's a less than ideal way of dealing with the situation. Um, so for me, it's been really hard to want to apologize to my kids when I do really dumb stuff because I'm apologizing to a three-year-old mm -hmm. for yelling at him when he probably deserved for me to yell at him. Mm -hmm. But now I need to build context around why I yelled at him. But even then, like sometimes it's just not appropriate. I should have just not done that. But you're human. You make mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you you gotta you gotta put something in their psyche of like, hey, I screwed up. I shouldn't have yelled at you there. And that that for me was I don't know. It was an important message for me to say because I, I don't see I don't always see other people do it. Yeah. Well, you're you are doing what you your your actions speak louder than words, right? Like kids pick up on stuff. We all know this. Kids pick up on stuff way quicker and way more than we realize because they see us do things and then they mimic it. And that's, that's the primary way of learning, right? When you're little, you're, you mimic. Um, right. And, and well, and even when you're older, you mimic, right? If you're not sure how to do right. something, you mimic. So by setting an example, uh, you, you're not treating them like dumb little kids that, you know, don't know anything. Right. right. Um, so along with that, and we're not going to be much longer because uh, I know you're probably busy. Um, you are into uh, building things, and uh, I think you're doing some metal work. Um, so I want to talk about um, knives in particular and <laughs> yeah. um, making knives and also letting your kids handle knives. Because, uh, again, yeah. I think that's something that it is not uh, the norm, per se, Uh but right. similar to apologizing, but I think it's in the same vein of, you know, treating kids that like they're more mature than, than people think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got into knife making cause I found it very, uh, I don't know. I find it, I find it soothing psych psychologically. I think I have a bit of, uh, ADD, uh, and focusing on one thing that I'm really passionate about for extensive periods of time is very soothing to me. Mm -hmm. Like doing little tasks like threading a needle or fixing a pair of eyeglasses. Like those things for some reason hold a lot. They give me a lot of pleasure because in the end of it, I got a finished product. Mm -hmm. So building has kind of filled a bit of a, a bit of a place for that for me. And I got into knife making and uh, inevitably when I make knives, that means there's knives lying around. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, the thing with my kids is we bought we bought my oldest son a, a whittling knife. So we went we went camping and we got him a whittling knife and it's like a round tipped knife that mm -hmm. is still very sharp, but he couldn't stab it into anything. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first exposure to that type of danger. Um, and I think the 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 way that I always play the scenarios out in my head is like, what's the worst case scenario? And is there like, could he really die from that? And and with the amount of supervision that we have and how in our presence he always is, um, 
the answer in my mind is no. Mm-hmm. I know other people wouldn't necessarily think that, but you know, we teach them the rules about it. We teach them how to use a knife, when to use it. Um, but I think what we're dealing with now is there's some uh, a little bit of like overlap with now we have a three year old who wants to do everything older brother does. Mm-hmm. So now we have this three year old who's now doing stuff that the other kid only got to do when he was five. Mm, yeah. I mean, granted, he's a very confident three-year-old, but now he doesn't quite understand the like right and wrong. So occasionally, he'll do some really dumb stuff that I, I have to come over and be like, "Hey, that's not okay." You know, like you can't swing this around and do this, and mm-hmm. and uh, it really does make a lot of other people very nervous uh, when I I'll let them do stuff. But for me, like the risks that they have are like they may cut off a finger, or they may like slice into their hand pretty deep, and we'll have to go get stitches. Um, but I'm willing to personally, I've made, I, I'm okay with them pushing those boundaries a little. Cause I think they can learn a lot from those things, not from the cutting off of their finger, but how to navigate things that are dangerous, how to have that responsibility. And, and, and I, I personally am okay with it. Uh, I know a lot of people who are not okay with it. Um, like my, my little brother, he sent me a text just the other day. Like he's a, he's a pediatric doctor at Stanford right now Hmm. um and he's he 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 lives with a lot of a lot more anxiety and worry than I do Mm -hmm. um but he you know he can't handle when he's over at my house and my kids are playing with a little mini katana I made him you know (laughs) um but but I don't know I'm I'm still figuring out what's truly appropriate and what we're letting go and we're fortunate enough to not have anything super drastic happen just yet knock on wood um but I've always thought about it as I let my kids take physical risks. Um, and I like on their own, I let them take a lot of risks, but I'm always watching them like very close to the point where there would be no long-term true long-term ramification of what, what goes on. Um, and I, I really protect them oftentimes emotionally from bad people. (laughs) Mm. So like I'm really supportive emotionally. I, I'm really open to talking things through, and like people who are crazy and put weird hangups on things like around them. Like I'm really aggressive with, and don't let them do that. You know, I, I don't let them. Someone come in and tell them that the ocean's full of sharks. Don't swim in it. You know, like yeah, like that's an emotional hangup that a child doesn't need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're always afraid of the ocean. You know. Yeah. Uh, Yep. That's in my mind, at least. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I let my kids take physical risks with, and I just, the way that I pay attention to them and the way that my wife pays attention to them, like we're both very observant people and we're watching what they're doing. So yeah, they might break an arm, they might cut themselves, they might do this stuff, but we we think that falls within the realm of, of, of learning and, and, and taking responsibility for their actions. And, and I don't know, we feel like it's, it's doing them we feel like they're they're growing and, and they're doing well because of it. Right. But yeah, it's not for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And Taz is on board with with that as well, or was that a conversation you needed to kind of convince her in terms of um, being able to take that risk? Uh, she and I are both kind of on board with that. We're not we're not the type of people who are like uh, like they're, they're about to hurt themselves and the, we go, you know, and like then. Right. It doesn't. That's not who we are as people. We're not anxious people. Right. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more blasé about it, mm-hmm. and Taz is a little bit more uh, uh, like setting those boundaries. But sure. she, because of my relaxedness around it, she trusts me, and she becomes more. But it's almost a negative thing because it perpetuates it to the point where, like, you know, 2020, you look back at it and you're like, that was probably a too unsafe. You know. <laughs> so I think right now we're at the place where we're we're gonna reevaluate a couple things and maybe put a little bit stricter boundaries. Um, the knives being one of those things where it's like our two year old will come running into the room carrying a giant kitchen knife or a giant kitchen knife. And I'm like, dude, you can't run into the room with a kitchen knife, but now he thinks it's okay to play with knives. So now we're going to have to like tone it back. back Yeah. Back it off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, maybe you haven't thought about it, but like when they become teenagers and they, you know, want to be drinking and, and all that, you, you feel like that'll be the same philosophy of like, Hey, you know, you can have drink a drink with dinner with us because it, you know, we were here with you. And, um, 
you know, is that something that would carry over to their teenage years and, you know? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think, I think there are boundaries, right? You know, uh, I think you need to do, you do need to set some boundaries as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pretty anti substance abuse human. Uh, I grew up hating the idea of getting high or getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, like we created a crew called the sober bros and <laughs> you know, like I had my couple times where I'd go out and party and get drunk, but it was never something that I sought. Like right. I didn't, I didn't, but my parents were really like, if I got in trouble or if I, as long as I told them, as long as I was like, Hey, I went to a party last night and got drunk and they're, they're like, Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. be careful and da 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 da. Like it was never, it was never a huge issue of like, you can't do this. It was more like, just let us know. And if you ever need anything, call us, we'll pick you up. And I just never gravitated towards that. I always had other shit I wanted to do, like surf or skateboard or mm. go with my friends. And I, I had a good group of people around me. And I think that's a, the thing that as they get older, I'm going to try to do is honestly, I'm going to try to surround them with people who I know have decent morals. Um, and I, I think that's hard because you can't really control their friends, but mm-hmm. I don't know that, that they're really heavily influenced by that. So right. I kind of want to, yep. Yep. but you got to just make them good decision makers. Like that's the thing is like, I don't want them not drinking because I told them not to drink. I right. want them not drinking because they know that people who drink all the time end up often not achieving anything in life. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not because you said so. It's because you're not going to be anything if that's all you're doing. Right. Right. Got it. Right. I like it. Um, so you and Taz uh, run warm-up and workout. You want to explain what that is and, and why you guys did that, do that? Yeah, sure. Um, warm-up and workout is our platform to help affiliates the best we possibly can. Uh, at this point in time, we wrote it initially as it was our way of controlling – not controlling, but yeah, it was a bit of quality control and consistency across the 22 gyms that we ran for NorCal CrossFit. Um, we always did session plans. Uh, I say we, Taz, is the – brilliant brains behind all that she always wrote these session plans and the session plans allowed classes to be coached in a way that uh the coach didn't need to think about what to do they just needed to think about how to execute Mm -hmm. and i i noticed that when i did those session plans when i when i uh had them to work off of i was 10 times better coach and my rate of improvement as a coach got shot through the roof and uh, eventually, after using it to, to you know, build this giant empire and to get really good consistency across all these gyms, we were like, I thought, you know, other people need this. People don't have the experience that Taz does in writing good sessions. They don't have the, they don't have the, the knowledge that we have in how to run good, good classes. So if we give people detailed maps to, that they can then take and turn and create their own, I thought it would be one of the better services we could offer to the 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 crossfit space um so we came from the place of just trying to help gyms out the best we possibly could and we we think that each gym is going to be run differently it's going to be you know a totally different business all these other pieces the 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 individuals and the individual interactions that you have are going to be unique to the type of person that you are and the person you're meeting and those are all things that we don't really have a hand in we just want to make it so that the program that people are getting is a good healthy awesome program and that the coach can think about how to implement the stuff versus what exactly they have to implement. Right. Um, so that's what we wrote. Yeah, I love it. Um, we have played around with a bunch of different programs out there and between writing our own and a bunch of other ones. And, um, you know, we, to full disclosure, I mean, we, we use you guys um, and it's amazing. It's uh, It's exactly what we were looking for in terms of having the variety, the, the, uh, both the breadth and the depth in terms of the warmups and the, obviously the workout. So a lot of people see CrossFit and they think, Oh, it's, it's just a workout, right? It's a 21, 15, nine, it's five rounds for time. And that's all there is. But if people ever travel around to different boxes, um, and another job that I had, I was able to drop into, you know, over 60 boxes to just see, including NorCal. Um, yeah. To, to see how every place is run, one of the biggest differences you can immediately tell is how prepared the coaches are, 
Um, obviously their personality, which is going to be more on them. Um, and then how much they actually coach versus, right. versus just cheerleading or facilitating, right? Anybody can write a workout up on a board and, and a warm up and just say, go do this. But, um, can, can you do that with a variety of athletes and can you do that in a way that gets them moving and, um, exposed to different things rather than just the same day in and day out warm up? Right. So yeah, we, we love it. Um, and, and every well, coach is, every coach is going to put their own spin on it, which is you know the point. Um, and I, I think that you guys are like the perfect type of gym that we want doing it. I think what happens sometimes is people like you guys care about your people and you care about the product that you're offering and you care about giving the best possible service to the individual who steps through your doors. It's not just about the bottom dollar. Yeah, you got to make money, but First and foremost, we have to be offering a, a, an awesome product. We want we want to be coaching. We want to be doing these things. Right. And I think there there are gyms and people out there and owners and coaches that don't want those things. There are owners and coaches that just want to plug and play. They want to mm-hmm. like press a button and have everything work for them. And and unfortunately, this industry doesn't thrive on that. I mean, you can you can you can go in, you can do that for a little while, but people are eventually going to realize that all you're doing is copying, pasting something and putting it on a board and walking away so like if you're not eliciting change in those people and building those relationships like you're not you're not offering them anything they could get anywhere else on the internet or any other gym and uh or at 24-hour fitness um so we want people like you guys who care about their members who put the time in who have a podcast that (laughs) that their members can listen to like the people who give a shit is the people that we want using our stuff because i don't yeah that so thank you for using it <laughs> well the other, the other thing is too because there's a number of boxes where they'll have four workouts in an hour or they'll have a skill session or they disguise it right they call it a skill session they call it a, a strength and then a metcon right. and then a cash out and it's yeah. like how are you actually getting people better if all you're doing is making them rush to set things up and just go um you you need to actually coach so like today was the to the just run workout so anybody Hell yeah anybody could look at that and say oh man i'm not gonna go because it's just running right but we had a bunch of mobility before that we had some midline work before that to warm up for it um and they're really smart warm-ups they're like sneakily smart warm-ups um to get people prepped um and it's it it allows them to bring the intensity to the workout which we know you know as trainers like that's where the magic is, right? The intensity piece, right. not the volume piece. Right. Um, so anyway, can't say enough good things about it, which is... Uh, well, thank you. So thank you. Um, you. The last question is really um, one that I ask everyone, and it's what is on your bucket list? Uh, I know you said, have said in the past you met your life goals. You've already met your life goals by meeting Taz and the things she's brought um, to you and to your relationship. Um, but what, what's on your bucket list? Like, what do you, what do you want to get done or, or be known for, or, um, by the time, yeah. you know, time's up? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, it's a fantastic question. Uh, and as you have known, I've, I've, I did accomplish my actual life goals. I think for, for now, what I, what, uh, an immediate bucket list slash thing I want to do before I die is I, I really... I really want to own a big piece of property and have a farm. Very cool. So I want to have a farm. I want to have a farm, and uh, and then you're raising yeah. animals on this. You're you're hell yeah. yeah. I want to raise animals on it. I want to have fruit trees. I want to have like nice. a permaculture garden. I want to do all that shit. That's so awesome. we're looking in at, at places in like North Carolina and Tennessee where you can buy, you know, fifty, sixty acres for one hundred and fifty grand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're looking at that to like have in addition to our house here. Okay. Yeah. But, so you'll you think you'll you'll stay in? Uh, yeah. I, think, I mean, California is unbelievable. Yeah. And it is so ridiculous when it comes to its quality of life and its natural environment and what you can get and achieve. And and we already got a foot in on this market. So now it's a matter of let's leverage this to do other stuff. Right. Right. Cool. Cool, man. Um, so where can people find you if uh, you want people to find you or and follow you and, and whatnot? 
um, give ah. all, give all the social media handles and, and podcasts yes. and all that. Yes. Oh, by the way, sorry, I'm gonna do one more on my bucket list. Oh, yeah. This is something that I is Please. relatively new. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 a I'm trying to write a mission statement for, for myself, but it's been hard for a long time. But I want to be a role model for men. I want to I want to be have a platform large enough to reach out to men so they'll be better dads, better husbands, just better people in the world. So I think that's one of the big things that I'm going to be putting a lot of effort into moving forward is trying to be a better role model for men. Yeah, um, you said that you already had like a, an email list or, or like you already have guys in mind to like have a group of some sort. Yeah, I mean we have we have like a, a crew of men in our town who meet up and, and do like a little meeting. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to do it on a bigger platform. I just cool. want I want people to be like, I need to be a better person because right. that's possible. Right. And and I think I can be the most influential with regards to fathers and husbands and business owners. That's awesome. I love it. Um, but social media wise, you can find me on Pat Barber CF on Instagram. Twitter, which I never use, Facebook, just Pat Barber, um, and that's that's warmupandworkout.com, the Tribe Life podcast, uh, the Tribe Life family dot family. That's our website, mm-hmm. uh, or you can go to the account on uh, Yah- not Yahoo, <laughs> uh, iTunes, <laughs> and look up <laughs> Yahoo. Man, who uses Yahoo? No that's offense, anyone out there use Yahoo. Um, and just type in the Tribe Life, uh, where the family podcast. Uh, and yeah that's about it awesome dude alright alright thanks man no worries thank you Chris hey folks thanks again for listening to Cross Econa Radio if you like what you heard head over to iTunes and give us a 5 star rating and leave us a review which helps us get found on the interwebs also head over to social media find us on Facebook and Instagram at CrossFit Kana, K-A-N-N-A. And if you have any questions for the podcast, email us at info at CrossFitKana.com. Thanks and have a great day.